isn't it good to know that we are not alone and that he is with us and we were singing that song and and uh, I was just kind of in my mind's eye reflecting back over the last five six weeks when when it felt lonely in the room here <laughs> and uh, and just knowing that God God was with us and um, and just anticipating a day when I'd be when we would see each other again in this room it's just um, very special to me obviously I, I didn't I didn't realize how much I missed uh, each of you and just seeing each of you until that didn't happen and so you know, I'm just so glad to be with you again this morning would you bow your heads and just pray with me as we before we open the word Lord we just bow before you and uh, with deep deep gratitude Lord we're, we're thankful for how you are at work and how you are are even restoring and thank you that we are never alone that you are always with us and uh, that you redeem us you call us as your own as we just sang and so lord i pray this morning that um that as we open your word that you would open our hearts that you would speak a word to each of us lord that only you can speak father we're we are hungry again uh, for you not just for an experience but for you Lord and so Lord would you would you touch us each in our own area of need where we where we are at right now this morning would you address that and uh, and Lord just take the truth of your word and apply it to our hearts and, and then give us practical applications of it this morning and we thank you and we love you in Jesus name amen amen you may be seated If you joined us last Sunday on the on the live stream, um, you uh, you got to see my lovely wife and uh, and myself talk about marriage and and um, and especially the context of prayer in marriage. And one of the things that's been on my heart before we go into another book study has been to just take several Sundays and just talk about something that is incredibly incredibly important to me and. And, um, and I want to do it in this format. I want to just take different places throughout Scripture where, it's, where it sort of shows a, a problem or a thing that existed, and then, in, and then you read how people began to pray, and then you see something happen as a result. And one of my, my goals and my uh, prayers as we go through this little mini-series that I'm just calling, and then they prayed, um, is that that God would spark a fresh faith in all of our hearts to be men and women of prayer. One of the things that, um, that because of not having kids church, we've got kids in here this morning, and if you've got your kids with you and they're kind of active and moving around, don't worry about it. We, we welcome them. I mean, we're just glad to have you here, right? Um, I often think of the story that I heard one time of, of a guy who was up front preaching and this little kid in the back was crying and and eventually the mother just kind of got up and headed out the door with the kid and the preacher just said it's fine ma'am she's not bothering me at all and she turned around and said well you're bothering her a lot <laughs> so uh, so I get it right um, if uh, if you need to you can you know you can always uh, pick up a kid and move if you need to but um, but we're glad that the kids are in here with us this morning so back to what I was uh, back to what I was saying just I just want in the next um, few weeks to 
just help us sort of gain some, some vision and some passion again and just keep that alive. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but I have. The subject of prayer is not something that I wrestle through and then I deal with one time and then it's settled, right? Like, I don't know that I've ever come to a place where I've looked at my own personal prayer life and said, it is as good as, I am, as it's going to get and I'm happy with it where it's at. Like, there's, because we serve a God who is infinite in his, um, in his holiness and in knowing him, who is majestic, there is a constant pursuit of him. And because prayer is the constant pursuit of him, it is never fully realized and satisfied. Like, you never get to this place and you're like, I know and understand as much about God as I ever am going to, and I'm completely here. Like, it's one of the great paradoxes of Christianity is that we are both hungry and satisfied at the same time. That we are both hungry to be filled and we are filled at the same time. Like, as we experience more of who God is, it also creates this hunger to know Him more. And in Ephesians, I think it is, it talks about how in eternity that, all, that his, the riches of His grace will be on display for all of eternity. Like, for the rest of eternity, for the next millions and millions of years, that you and I will experience more and more of the majesty and the beauty and the glory of who God is. And it's hard to get our minds around. But there's no point in eternity where we will just say, this is it. We have finally realized everything and comprehended the majesty of who God is. We will just continue to be in awe. Like, wow, wow, as he just continues to reveal the majesty of who he is. That's why prayer is a constant and ongoing pursuit. The other thing that I've discovered happens is that life happens, right? Busyness, job, family, church, work, you know, school, all those things. And in the busyness and just the mundaneness of life, if I am not, um, if the vision is not kept fresh to pray and to pursue God, it begins to get stale and sort of go through the motions. So, this morning we're going to start in the book of beginnings, in Genesis. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 4, and I'm just going to read about six verses um, in Genesis chapter 4, four verses, and I'm going to build off of that, and that's going to be our text for this morning. Here's the context before we read in Genesis 4. In Genesis 1, God created the world. Genesis 2, he rests and he creates man, and it, it kind of unfolds the creation of man. Genesis 3, we have what we call the fall. We have the story of where Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. Genesis 4 is where some, suddenly things start to show up that had not been present before. Things like jealousy, hatred, um, laziness, things like arguing with God, right? Things are starting to show up as a result of this sin that shows up in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 4, the results of sin are starting to show up. And then you read how Adam and Eve had a son, and they named him Cain. He's the firstborn. And then they had another son, and he's Abel. He's the secondborn. Abel is, is 
the, the, um, he's, the far, he's, he's the one that takes care of the animals. Cain takes care of the crops. Cain brings an offering. And there's something about Cain's heart, even in bringing his offering, that God saw something that was not right. And he says, I won't honor it. And Cain was upset by it. Cain and God have a conversation. And God tries to disciple Cain out of the place that he's at. Like God addresses his heart. It's not as though God somehow just says, well, I kind of arbitrarily chose Abel over Cain, and I just like him better. It wasn't that way at all. He saw something in Cain's heart, and he addresses it after the offering, and he says, and he talks to him, he says, listen, he says, you're in a dangerous position to quote directly from what God says to, to Cain. He says, sin is crouching at the door trying to own you. Now, that's a, that's a word of warning, right? God gives Cain a warning. He says, there's this thing called sin, and he says, picture it crouching at the door of your heart, and he says, it's trying to master you and to take over you, and you're going to become a slave if you don't do something. And Cain's response to that is not repentance. Cain's response to that is to become even more angry and more embittered. And in fact, what God warned him about did in fact happen. That sin that was crouched at his door moved in, took over, and he became the first murderer. He killed his brother Abel. And then you read how God deals with Cain, and, and you, by then you're in chapter 4, and, and it says how God put a mark on him, and he's like, don't, don't kill Cain but you're marked and you are a man that is going to be marked by violence. And then you read about Cain's descendants, and that's where we're going to pick it up. One of Cain's descendants was a gentleman who wasn't a gentleman by the name of Lamech. In verse 23, it says in Genesis chapter 4, verse 23, you can follow along on the screen or in your Bibles, Lamech said to his wives, Adah and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech, Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. Verse 25, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. And there is the first reference to prayer that you find in Scripture right there. At the end of Genesis chapter 4 and verse 26, right there at the end it says, And at that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. What is going on that as this has progressed as time has progressed if you would go on over into Genesis chapter 5 you would find in verse 3 that Adam was 130 years old at the point that he had Seth and I don't know for sure how old Seth was when he had uh, well he was 105 right there in, in uh, verse 6 when he had Enosh so a number of years have progressed right but there's something about this that it, in this moment that the writer of Genesis wants us to know that something is going on in this moment and it says, and then begin men to call on the name of the Lord. We really started to pray at that point. Now, there's some clues along the way as to what's going on. The word Enosh literally means frail and weak man. Frail and weak man. 
There's, there's a similar word that I'm told, and, and I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but I'm told that there's a similar word that is kind of in conjunction, conjunction with this word that is also translated in Scripture different times as just wicked. Like there's just an awareness of our desperate, wicked frailty in that moment. As Seth is naming his boy, he's looking around and he's saying, we are weak and frail. I'm going to name my son that. Now, thankfully, none of you were named weak and frail man, like human. None of you were looked at by your parents and said, wow, we are weak and broken and frail. I'm just going to name this child messed up. You're like, well, yeah, my parents figured it out a little later <laughs> that we were messed up. My parents figured it out when I turned two, right? And then we hit the terrible twos. Now, we have an awareness of it that they didn't completely understand in our day, that when a baby is born, he's born into a broken world, and he's born a broken person. Babies, by nature, are selfish. You've heard me say this before, right? We had four of them, and none of them were born saying, hey, Mom, you carried me for nine months. Is there anything I can do for you now? None of them said that. We're still waiting on them to say that. That's not true. Got great kids. But you know what I mean? Like, we're not born strong and even morally good. We're born broken. And something in the awareness of that for Seth in that moment caused him to look at this little baby boy and say, I'm just going to name him weak and frail man. Broken. An awareness that we are people in need. But you see, that response, but it's held in light of another response, and it's the response of Lamech. And Lamech, of course, is this guy who's, who's just saying, hey, wives of Lamech, wouldn't you love being addressed like that? Um, like, one of the things I've never tried doing with my wife is just addressing her as wife of Floyd, right? <laughs> Good luck if you're uh, planning to do that. So, uh, here's Lamech, and he just says, Wives of Lamech, listen to my voice. He's really full of himself, isn't he? And he's saying, here's the, here's the kind of man I am. He's like, I have killed a man for wounding me and a young man for striking me. In other words, you do something a little bit to me, I'm going to do a lot back to you. That's the kind of a guy I am, wives of Lamech. Listen to me. And so that is sort of on display over here. And then over here is another generation coming up where Adam and Eve have this third-born son, Seth, and they name, and then Seth has a son, and he names him frail and weak man, and then begin people to call on the name of the Lord. And I want to just hit several points kind of out of the text. We call on the name of the Lord, first of all, because of injustice what is going on around us as they looked around them they saw people like a population that's just beginning to grow right and Lamech is put on display and talked about as sort of the stereotypical brokenness around them Lamech demonstrates absolute injustice in an unjust and a broken world. 
We're still dealing with injustices, aren't we? We're still living in a broken world. We're still living in times when we look around us and we say, this is not right. This is not the way things were supposed to go. And who in their right mind would look at a guy like Lemek and say, this is exactly what God intended for, his man, for mankind to live like? Like who in their right mind would say, this is exactly what God wanted us to live like? As this arrogant person who just goes around committing injustices on people, I think there was an, there was an awareness in most people's minds that something had gone wrong. And that happens from time to time. Like we just look around us and we just say something has gone wrong. You may have been looking around the last several weeks and just saying something has gone wrong, right? Like do we live in a broken world or not? We do. And what do you do with that brokenness that you see around you, the injustices that you see around you, the things that are happening that are not the way they ought to be? What do you do with that? Because what you do with that says a whole lot about what you believe about who God is. Because mankind, for the last, for the however many thousand years that we've been here, has been dealing with the brokenness and the injustices around them in a variety of ways. But they tend to deal with them in ways that say, I am in charge of my own destiny, I am in charge of history. I am in charge of dealing with the brokenness around me. And we put our trust in things that should never have our faith and our trust. We put our trust in our wealth. We put our trust in our politics. We put our trust in our, in our religion. You know, like, like if I just am a better person, like if I just try harder, then maybe I can deal with this brokenness that's around me. Or if I can get a group of people to try harder, if I can get a group of people to follow a set of guidelines and laws, then this will deal with the brokenness around us. Then we can address the injustices around us. But the tendency of all of us as mankind is to look to ourselves and our own ideas and our own plans and our systems to deal with the injustices and the brokenness around us and instead the model that is given here that I believe is supposed to be followed throughout humanity is that it causes us to get on our knees and cry out to God and to call in the name of the Lord and to say, God, we live in a broken world. Help us. Help us know how to address it. Now, prayer is never the replacement for action. Prayer is the direction for action. You understand what I'm saying? In other words, if you see things going on around you that are not right and you can do something about it, the, re the right response is not to just say, I'll pray. I'll just pray about that. And then do nothing. Prayer is not an excuse for laziness. Prayer is the direction for action. Prayer is what we do first, and then we move. How do you even know how to deal with what's going on around you if you're not praying? How do you know that your response is even correct and right if you're not praying? How many times, I could tell you story after story of times when well-meaning people have said, oh, well, this is unfair, this is unjust, this is how we're going to deal with it, let's do it like this, and they wind up creating a bigger problem than they were trying to address. Happens over and over and over. 
Because there, if there is not faith in an almighty, all-knowing, all-seeing God that says, I have, I'm, I see things around me, I'm living in a broken world, and I see injustices all over, I'm going to cry out to God like, God, what do you want me to do about this? God, what should I do next? How do you want me to live in this kind of a world? We desperately need the Spirit of God to give us direction day after day after day to know how to live in a broken, unjust world. And if you're not talking to Him, if you're not crying out to Him, then how do you know what you're supposed to do? How do you know how to take the next step? And quite frankly, the brokenness of the world will get in your pores eventually if faith does not inform your response. Because it happens. Like there are times when like the brokenness of the world that we live in can just almost be overwhelming. Where we just say, oh, Lord, come quickly. Like you just kind of, you know, Romans 8 talks about like all of creation groaning, awaiting its redemption. And sometimes I just like, God, this is a mess. Come quickly. We have people all over the place arguing and back and forth and whatever. Come quickly. But while we are here, he calls us to be ministers of redemption and reconciliation and justice. How do you know what to do next if you're not calling on the name of the Lord? How do you know who to help if you're not calling on the name of the Lord? Secondly, we call on the name of the Lord because of our weakness. When they named their little son Seth, they were saying, not only is it broken around us, something's messed up in us. Like, it's not just what's going on around, going on around us. There's a weakness inside us that ought, to call, that ought to cause us to call on the name of the Lord. And so, here they are. They're saying, well, there's this little baby, and we'll call him weak and frail because there's something messed up in us. We call in the name of the Lord because we are weak. Because we don't have it all put together. Here's what we tend to do with our weakness. We tend to either excuse it or address it with self-effort. In other words, our tendency is either to make excuses for our weakness, like, well, you don't know my story. You don't know what happened to me. Yes, I am, I'm an angry person, or I'm lustful, or I have addictions, or I'm self-absorbed, or whatever, but you don't know my story. Like, I have an excuse for why I am the way I am. We do that, don't we? Like, we're, all, we, we're always so quick to play the victim card. Because being a victim is a wonderful gig. Because you can do anything with immunity. <laughs> because, I'm, because you don't know what happened to me. Like, I, I just make excuses for it. The other response is that we just try harder. We're like, yes, there's something kind of broken in me. I do have these problems. There's something messed up. And it ju I just keep doing this stuff. And it just kind of comes out and I don't like it. I'm just going to try harder. Man, i got to go to church more, and i got to read my Bible more, and i got to memorize my Bible maybe, and, and, and i got to do this and do this and do this, and we try and we try and we try, and self-effort and excuses will never address the brokenness and the weakness inside of us. It's why we ought to call out to the name of the Lord, because we need transformation. 
That's the good news of the gospel, is that we can be transformed from the inside out. That the weakness inside of us, the brokenness inside of us, can be addressed by the Spirit of God working in us and transforming us from the inside out. We ought to be asking God always, deal with what's in here. Lord, take it away. Take away this pride, this lust, this selfishness, this, this, this anger, this whatever is going on inside of us. The awareness of our weakness ought to call us, like these people, to call out to the nation name of the Lord. And then thirdly, because of his sovereignty, what is going on in heaven, we ought to call out on the name of the Lord. This is it right here. Because there is a picture unfolding here that is amazing. Here's the thing. There is a promise given to Eve at the end of Genesis chapter 3 where, where they have fallen and God says, hey, lift up your head. Yes, there is sin in the, in the world now. Yes, something is broken. But he says, your seed is coming. And he will crush the head of the serpent. And he's like, there's a day coming when he says, I will set it right. When, when your seed will come and he'll address what happened here in the last few hours. And what's going to happen for the next few thousand years. And he's pointing ahead to a time when the Messiah will come, and he will come and he will be uh, beaten, and he will give his life, and he will die a death that we deserve to forgive us of sins that we have been born in. And then he preserves a line of people for the Messiah to be born. And for the next 4,000 years, everything is about the coming Messiah. Jesus is coming. Lift up your heads. Take hope. Jesus is coming. The Redeemer is coming. He's going to come. Now, for most of that history, it happened in the firstborn son, didn't it? Like that was the lineage. If you would go to the Gospel of Luke, I think it's about chapter 3, somewhere in there, it gives you like the entire lineage of Jesus. Like it says, Jesus was born, his father was Joseph, and Joseph's father, and on and down, down, and down, and down, and down, and down, until it hits Adam, and then it has one more. It says, and it says, Seth, the son of Adam, Adam, the son of God, in Luke. It's fascinating, isn't it? 1 Corinthians 15 talks about the first Adam. The first Adam being where sin entered. And then it talks about the second Adam being Jesus who deals with the sin. When they began to call the name of the Lord, it was an act of faith that heaven was at work. That God's sovereign plan had not been set aside because they were living in a broken world with brokenness inside of them that there was hope, that they were calling on a God who was a God of hope and redemption, and that he had promised redemption and that he would keep his promise. It was an act of trust and faith. Even in the keeping of the law throughout the Old Testament, you find them doing so as an act of faith. Like, this was not just empty going through the motions or it wasn't supposed to be. Even when times, when it became an empty going through the motions, God would address it. Even to the point, like in Malachi, he says, just stop going through the motions if you're not doing it out of a true heart. Like, like God's children were not the only ones who kept laws, by the way. 
But the thing that was supposed to distinguish him was this faith that, that, that drove them in the keeping of these laws and the belief that there was a coming Messiah, that God would keep his promises and that he would redeem his people. That's why they called on his name. They were not calling on the name of the Lord as somebody who they hoped would help them. They was somebody who they believed would help them. There was a desperation for redemption behind this praying. This awareness that we are needy. He is sovereign. He has a plan. He's going to make it happen. And there was, I think there was some level of awareness in Adam and then in Seth and then in Enosh and ongoing through the generations that God is preserving a generation for a coming Messiah. And he is calling his people to live in faith in his plan of redemption. We, have, we do have the advantage to look back on the story. And we also, though, live in faith that God is a redeeming God, don't we? Like we still call on his name as a sovereign Lord because we believe that there is something going on in heaven. And that this is moving toward a predetermined end. And it's glorious. We have hope. In other words, when you and I pray, we pray to a God who can address the issues going on in our day, but we pray to a God who is sovereign over history, and he is in charge, and he's taking it to a predetermined end, and for his children, that is glorious, and that gives us hope. That's why we call on his name. He is that God. Because of the sovereignty and the majesty of who he is, call on his name. So the question this morning is, do you trust the sovereignty and the plan of God in your life? In other words, when you look around and you see a broken world around you, when you look inwardly and you see a weak, broken person, do you think God can do anything with that? Can God redeem the messes of today? Will God redeem the messes of today? Will he make something beautiful out of broken ashes? If you're sitting here this morning, you're like, I, I kind of hope so. You're not reading your Bible. <laughs> like the end of the story is there. Like it tells us what this is gonna go, where this is going and what it's going to look like. 1 Corinthians 15, like I said several Sundays ago, is just this beautiful promise of a resurrection where all that is broken and sad is made untrue. Where it's not real anymore. Where the, the brokenness and the injustices around us are addressed and set right. Where the weakness inside of us is addressed and it is set right. Where it is redeemed. And we see the glimpses along the way. Like there are situations in our life where we see God moving in and redeeming a situation. And I believe that even the situation that we're in right now, I think that, that we are going to see God redeem it. I just believe it. I think there's a broken component to it. I think there's some injustices happening. I think a lot of things. I mean, I think that we live in a broken world. 
I think there's brokenness inside of all of us that kind of, has kind of come out through some of this. But I have absolute hope and confidence and faith in a redeeming God that He will take this and redeem it and that the church will be stronger tomorrow than it was yesterday. I believe that God's church is going to come alive during this time and come and be stronger moving forward than we were in the past. I just, see, I just keep seeing these little, these little um, indicators along the way that something's happening. And that what the enemy may mean for evil, like Joseph said to his brothers, he's like, God meant this for good. And that God can take the most messed up, broken situation, the most messed up, broken lives, and he can turn them, and he can redeem them, and he can turn them into something good. And because he can, we ought to be calling on his name. We ought to be praying. And when these people looked around them and they said, let's name the baby, broken and frail, and now let's pray. They understood. He is a sovereign God, and He has promised redemption, and He will always keep His promises. Amber, if you guys want to go ahead and come on up, I want to close this. So, where are you at today? You may be sitting here this morning. Here's how we want to close. I'm just going to just give us a few moments, just a little bit of space right there in your seat. And there may be something that came into your mind right as, as this morning as I was just talking and saying, I, I have been so bothered by what I see going on around me. And maybe there's just anxiety that's come up and you've been bothered by what you've seen going on in our world around us or maybe in our community or whatever. And you just want to bring that before God and say, God, you know how, you know how upset I've been about this. And Lord, I just want to lay it at your feet and I want to give it to you and I want to give you control of this situation. I want to trust you to do whatever you do with this. Maybe it's something inside of you, and you just want to say, Lord, I have been so disappointed with the way I have lived and the way I've acted recently, and I just want to bring you this weakness and this brokenness inside of me. And all of this we do because he is worthy and because he is sovereign. He's a redeeming God, and he can make beauty from ashes. And I just want to give us a few moments, just a little bit of space to just take whatever is on your heart and bring it before God and to pray, because it'd be a shame if we talked about prayer, but we didn't actually pray, wouldn't it? So would you bow your heads with me? Lord, in this moment, would you just show us places where we just need to take our cares, our anxieties, our awareness of our weakness, and trust you with it? Just between you and God. Lord, you, you hear the prayers of your children. And Lord, in faith this morning, we pray, knowing that you are sovereign and that you are redeeming. God, as each person this morning has just, again, trusted you in a fresh way with whatever was on their heart, Lord, would you take that prayer of faith redeem it make it make it something beautiful Lord Lord we we do live in strange times and and maybe we're not any more broken than we ever were but we're more aware of it 
Father, my prayer is that the, the awareness would bring us to our knees. That your church would repent of its self-sufficiency, its pride, its, its empty religion. That your church would respond with compassion and with faith and trusting you as a sovereign Lord to redeem these situations. God, for each person here this morning who has something very deep and personal that they just brought before you in the last moment and said, Lord, help me, deliver me from this weakness. God, would you just graciously respond to that cry and change them, Lord, transform them from the inside out. Let's give you all these truths and we trust you to do what you do. It is amazing. Pray it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.